the greens and the green vegetables and the cruciferous vegetables like the broccoli and the cauliflower and the Brussels sprouts, all of those have super food ingredients for our gut, including the fact that there are so many vitamins, nutrients and minerals in fresh vegetables that we probably can't enumerate them. Plus, they're rich in polyphenols, so all of these things are good for your gut. So I would say just start with the greens and then build your colorful vegetable plate from there. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. We've all heard that there is a gut-brain connection, but have you ever considered how food affects your mood? Did you know that blueberries can help you cope with the after-effects of trauma, that processed salami can cause depression, or that boosting vitamin D and magnesium-rich foods can help treat anxiety? When it comes to diet, most people's concerns revolve around weight loss, fitness, cardiovascular health, and even longevity, which are all important to our overall health and well-being. But what we eat absolutely affects not only our body on a cellular level, but it affects our brains and our emotions. And recent studies have shown that diet can have a profound impact on mental health conditions ranging from ADHD to depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, dementia, and beyond. This topic has always been fascinating to me because I believe that food is medicine and that we can experience profound emotional and physical well-being by choosing foods that nourish our body and soul each and every day. So now that it's officially summer, think of how those yummy, fresh strawberries taste. I have a bit of an obsession with strawberries and raspberries, but research has shown that eating strawberries can boost happiness and decrease depression. I don't know about you, but I'm gonna be eating a whole lot more this summer. And there's no one who knows this better than Dr. Uma Nidu. A triple threat in the food space, Dr. Uma is a board-certified psychiatrist, nutritional specialist, and professionally trained chef. And she's got a new book, This Is Your Brain on Food, where she draws on cutting-edge research to explain the many ways in which food contributes to our mental health. And she shows how a sound diet can help treat and prevent a wide range of psychological and cognitive health issues by healing the gut, leaky brain, hormones, and cellular inflammation. And I know because you are listening to these podcast episodes that you know that all of this is interconnected. Now, she and I are going to be discussing the importance of the gut-brain connection today and how nourishing your microbiome can have a direct impact on how you feel. Now, before I bring on Dr. Uma Naidu, I can't wait to bring on her expertise regarding nutritional psychiatry. Before I do that, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Naidu founded and directs the first hospital-based clinical service in nutritional psychiatry in the United States. She is the Director of Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and the Director of Nutritional Psychiatry at Massachusetts Academy while serving on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. Due to her love of food and passion for cooking, Dr. Uma decided to pursue a career in culinary arts degree and she graduated as a professional chef from the Cambridge School of Culinary Arts in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She is a faculty teacher at Harvard and she is continuing to pioneer the research in nutritional psychiatry 
and her newest book is going to be on this subject, which we will be available on Amazon. I'll be linking to that in just a little bit. In the meantime, let's welcome her onto the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Uma Naidu. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dr. Misa. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yay. I am so happy to have you. When I heard about your book and I heard about all of the amazing work that you did, I was so excited to have you come onto the show and share your brilliance. Today, we're talking about a topic that I love. I totally nerd out on, and that is the mood-food connection and how we're going to feed our brain to really not only feel better, but actually help boost our emotional capacity, which I think is just amazing. A lot of people don't put that together. They don't realize that what we eat has everything to do with how we feel. Now, Dr. Uma Naidu, what was the inspiration? What was that defining moment for you when you knew that this was the work you wanted to do in the world? Thanks, Dr. Marisa. You know, I think it came early for me and it took years to evolve into this very complete idea of nutritional psychiatry. I first really was paying attention as a prescriber, as a, as a young resident in psychiatry. I knew that medications I was learning to give my patients also had side effects. And I felt a certain responsibility around understanding the lifestyle changes and nutritional guidance I could give them if I was prescribing something that they may need um, at the time, but they also may develop side effects. And so I began to really pay attention to nutrition and lifestyle and other measures. And this really grew for me uh, to become a, a more lively interest. And so when people say to me, how long has your clinic run? I actually say to them, I've been doing the work outside of forming the clinic for much longer. And that's really where it stemmed from, feeling that people should have information if they have medical conditions or mental health conditions that may develop side effects. Mm, that makes so much sense. Now, I know this is, this is the area of focus that you have really just experienced a lot of groundbreaking research in, can you define for us what is nutritional psychiatry? Because I have a feeling that most people didn't know there was a branch of psychiatry that focused on nutrition. Absolutely. And, and Dr. Marisa, that is because it's a nascent field. It's newer. We've been doing it for a very long time. They're, they're, some of my mentors have done decades ago, did the trials on folate and how folate affected mood. So whether it's a supplement or whether you get that through food, although the trials at that time were on supplements. But, you know, we've, we've known about it for a long time. You people have heard about omega-3 fatty acids and eating things like salmon and, you know, antioxidants and blueberries. But the truth is we haven't put the, together the research. And I think that, you know, one of the things to understand is that in nutrition, the, the information is changing often all of the time. But so I'd like to guide my patients around some really basic principles of not only how to eat, but important foods that they should be eating. And this field has really developed into a much more robust area of research and ongoing research, both from an epidemiological standpoint and from sort of hardcore science, with the most recent uh, burgeoning research being around the gut microbiome. So... Nutritional psychiatry, to answer your question more succinctly, is working with someone to feel emotionally better using nutrition and nutritional strategies. So I would work with someone 
you know, from their dietary changes to things that they could tweak in how they're eating in order for them to feel better emotionally. Now, when it comes to looking at nutritional psychiatry, and you said the first kind of set of research was really looking at nutrient deficiencies and looking to see if we could fill in those nutrient gaps, things like probably magnesium, folate, B vitamins. And I know there's a lot of other supplements that can really help to support our emotional well-being. When did we start to look at the food components? I know that it's one thing, and I am a major fan of supplementation. I find that so many women in particular, when it comes to the gut-brain connection, is that they are really deficient in multiple key nutrients that can impact their hormones, impact the way that their gut works, even their detox pathways. So I totally recognize that connection. But I also know that food, take a blueberry, for example, or, or even berries to begin with, is you're working with so much more than just the minerals and the vitamins. You're looking at the, the phytonutrients. You're looking at the fiber. There's so much more going on in a blueberry you know, that, that you can't find in a supplement. And so when you're looking at that, is it do you first start working with the nutrient deficiencies by running labs, or are you working in conjunction with the maybe potentially nutrient deficiency supplementation and then even whole food nutrition at the same time? So much of it is actually personalized depending on what the, the client might need. And so some people come in and we do need to run lab tests because we're working with their primary care physician and they've already been identified to have nutrient deficiencies. But others actually come in, you know, just feel that they want to feel better. I call this subsyndromal where they don't meet the set criteria in the DSM-4 TR criteria for, say, depression or anxiety, but they're not feeling good. They're functioning. They might be going to work, but they're just not feeling themselves. They're feeling super anxious. So they're getting through the day, but really quite depressed and down at night. And they're not at a point where they need a medication so they're not so severely depressed, but they need some way to tweak things. And we might start with a whole, really whole food, healthy diet, but really based on what they eat, what their meal plans have been like over, say, I try to have them track their food and explain their food and then make a personalized plan based on that with giving them the recipes, giving them the nutritional components they should add in. It is individualized for different people because they might present with slightly different things as the first line of complaint with which they walk into the office. Hmm. So an example for that, just trying to think, because yeah, I absolutely, clearly we don't always just kind of hit that threshold of diagnosed depression or diagnosed anxiety. Sometimes we're just overwhelmed. Sometimes we're just stressed and sometimes we're just feeling anxious and we're feeling fearful of whatever deadlines we've got going on. I think of women in particular, we just have so much on our plate and then it just tips over. When it comes to looking at an individual approach, you know, even with someone just, they're just in a funk and it comes to nutritional tailoring. Is it a focus to add in? Clearly, I think journaling and watching what someone eats is so important because most of us don't even know, especially snacking. Often. That's right. I have no we, we idea. lose track of it, it's, especially now. We lose track of it. And I think sometimes we don't even realize that that counted. Like that little frappuccino, they had that counted. <laughs> you know, and so those things. So it's always, I think it's always so important to document. First things first, are you adding things in or are you taking away? Because I, I know there's a lot of foods that can be very inflammatory, not even just to the gut, but on a cellular level. And then a leaky, a leaky gut leads to a leaky brain, you know. So you absolutely have that down. So I'm all about adding in foods 
And only eliminating foods if someone has an allergy or an actual intolerance to something. Because what I find is since, you know, we based, and even the book is really based on using the gut microbiome and the brain gut axis to help someone feel better. What it comes down to is people feel less restricted and studies have been done and shown that when when individuals restrict in terms of a dietary plan, they tend to bounce back and boomerang and kind of do worse after that period of restricting a food. So I'd rather give them on the front end, a lot of options that they can build into their diet while giving them guidelines around, you know, processed foods, ultra processed foods. What are the hidden sugars in food? Many people don't realize, you know, that savory foods have much more added sugar than than you might think, you know, the yogurt that you have that has fruit in it. So giving them clear guidelines, plus using things like healthy fats, what, how fiber impacts their gut. And where can they get that fiber from? You know, yes, your mom or your grandmother said, eat your vegetables, but there's a lot more science now that we know behind that. So giving them clear guidelines, telling them that they this is the amount they can eat often makes them feel better already because they feel you're not coming to your office and you're going to tell me, give up this, give up that. Within that, Dr. Misa, there are also people who come in who might already have, you know, an inflamed gut just because of the symptoms they're presenting with. Or they've seen the gastroenterologist who sends them to see me because they're suffering with a particular condition. And, you know, as we decipher it, we realize that we can help the gut and therefore also help the anxiety. Mm. Yeah, I would love for you to speak into, because that's where I see one of the biggest connections is the gut-brain connection in regards to anxiety. And I feel like, you know, and you can speak to this better than I can, but I feel like the rate of, of anxiety is definitely increasing. And I don't know if that has to do with the amount of stress. I don't know if that has to do with the, I you know, I don't know if I know a patient who doesn't have some kind of gut distress gas and bloating, it's become so normal. It's become so common. We just think that it's just kind of the way it is. And we don't realize that there's there's potential repercussions down the road when we're dealing with those types of symptomology. Um, so speak to me a little bit about how the gut-brain connection and what we eat can have such a positive impact on those feelings of anxiety. Absolutely. So it starts off with, you know, the actual gut-brain connection. I mean, people read about it in the news, they they hear about it, and they speak about it in their doctor's office. But I think it's important for people to understand that there's an actual anatomical connection because, you know, people don't think that there's a connection other than being in the same body between the gut and the brain. But there's from embryology and from as we develop from a sperm and an egg and a zygote and how all of our lives came to be, those organs all form from the same set of cells. And there's a specific nerve called the vagus nerve, which directly connects the brain to the gut and forms what often is called the second brain, which is all the nervous system in the gut called the enteric nervous system. Where that becomes really important is for any reason, if it's disrupted, one of the biggest disruptors of the gut microbiome is stress. Whatever the source of the stress, whatever the cause, right now we we may be facing a shortage of a highly prescribed medication called sertraline, otherwise called Zoloft, because the amount of one of the insurance companies 
did a survey of the number of heightened prescriptions for depression and anxiety. And psychiatrists are actually facing this shortage of certain uh, certain doses of Zoloft right now. And it's because we have become increasingly stressed with everything that's going on. And the stress disrupts the gut. The gut then becomes inflamed. It could become a leaky gut. So many different things could happen to it. But because of the vagus nerve, there's this bi-directional up and down communication and neurochemicals are communicated between the brain and the gut. The other issue is that serotonin, the huge, you know, the mood receptor, the happy receptor, most of the receptors for serotonin are actually in the gut. So when you think about that, if you're eating poorly or you're stressed and it's affecting your gut, your gut is disrupted, maybe it becomes leaky, maybe it's just inflamed or all of those things together, serotonin is impacted. Therefore, your brain is impacted. Therefore, you may suddenly appear much more anxious. So the moment you can start to correct all of those issues, you, I, I will see patients really start to feel much calmer, much less stressed. I love to hear that. I would love to just guide the conversation a little bit into, you know, my my thought around nutritional psychiatry is the intention is that we are potentially trying a natural way in which to heal the body, where it's a root cause approach. To me, it sounds very much like that. And I think, you know, a root cause approach is always the best approach when it comes to to really truly healing the body. When does medication come into play? Um, Are there instances where medication may not even be necessary because we found out that it really was a gut issue more than it was anything else? Absolutely. So instances where it may not mean, where a person may not mean medication, take for example, someone who came to see me, an older woman, and I say that only because she described herself that way. I didn't think she was old. Uh, but she, she came in and said, Dr. Naidu, I'm, an, I'm, I'm quite an old woman, but I know that I have a problem with my gut. She had read one of my blogs or an article that appeared in I think the Wall Street Journal or something, but it was about the gut microbiome. And she said, I've been uh, getting a lot of treatment because I need it for my severe asthma. And she had been hospitalized and taken a lot of antibiotics because those were life-saving. She had, a, she had severe chest infections and she couldn't breathe. But I know that I'm not feeling myself. And so with her, she didn't need a medication. She was feeling somewhat down. She was feeling very anxious. But when we took a proper history, she'd really been in and out of the hospital on multiple antibiotic agents, which, which her doctor was recommending because she'd been so sick. So for her, it really was about de-stressing, the proper diet, including the right foods in her diet, getting better sleep, making sure that she did exercise and mindfulness. So it was a very, very much a finding the root cause, but also a very integrated and holistic approach to how she got better. And she didn't need medication. I also have some people, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, who don't meet the criteria, but they're not feeling great. And they do very well with these with these strategies because they can build them in. They can they they find it so easy because we all have to eat, right? So it's it's very easy to incorporate foods and add these nutrients back into your diet. And then there are also individuals who are very sick. You know, they they're they're suicidal. And as a psychiatrist on mental health, you know, we have to take those symptoms seriously. So with someone's acutely suicidal or severely depressed or say they have a bipolar disorder and are manic 
was psychotic and have lost touch with reality, those individuals need a much stronger level of care. They might need medications first to get them out of this acute phase. And as they start to recover, nutritional uh, strategies can augment their, their recovery, their treatment, and actually really help them. So I think that in those individuals, we don't step in with the nutrition first. It could be adjunctive even at the time that they're sick, but it wouldn't be the first line to get them out of that episode. Hmm. Thank you so much for the clarification. I, I totally make so much sense to me. I wanted to segue back to the, the gut-brain connection. I know there's a lot of people listening right now to this episode and listening to your expertise, and they're, they are feeling like they're in a funk, and some of them are definitely struggling with anxiety and depression, and goodness knows, we've all been given a, a pretty big wallop the last three to four months just trying to figure out the unknowns and dealing with the stressors of families coming home, just everything just being flipped on side of its head, and so... and. A lot of people have been on Instagram making all kinds of goodies. You know, people's people are people. <laughs> baking like never before. Exactly. I was like, oh my goodness. And you know, we're just closer to our refrigerator and our pantry. And oftentimes I know you you probably know a lot about this, but there's there are definitely instances of emotional eating, right? That we're we're fulfilling an unmet need, you know, whether it's we're feeling stressed or we're feeling anxious or we're feeling, for me, it used to be, I was always exhausted. I'm like, give me, give me a little something to get me through the rest of this day. And so in these instances, you know, when, as we're, as we're kind of coming out of the fog of all of this, and I know people are trying to be a little bit more mindful, especially as they begin to realize that what they're eating does have an impact on how they feel. What are some foods, kind of your superfoods, that even if you didn't have a chance to look at that particular person's profile, but you just wanted to make some general recommendations about helping to support the gut microbiome, you know, helping the gut get a little bit more probiotic-driven foods, definitely fiber, a huge player in that, healthy fats, right? You're, you're, those little bugs love themselves some avocado. And so talk to me about <laughs> some of the superfoods that you just think are kind of a non-negotiable. Given as long as someone doesn't have any kind of allergy, you won't be surprised. I'm going to start with all the greens because the greens and the green vegetables and the cruciferous vegetables like the broccoli and the cauliflower and the Brussels sprouts, all of those have super food ingredients for our gut, including the fact that there are so many vitamins, nutrients, and minerals in fresh vegetables that we probably can't enumerate them. Plus they're rich in polyphenols. So all of these things are good for your gut. So I would say just start with the greens and then build your vegetable your colorful vegetable plate from there. So I feel that it's probably a large category, but you know you, you can't avoid vegetables. You, you can't avoid whether you have them fresh, raw, cooked, steamed, however you do it, just you know, try not to fry them too often. That's obviously not healthy. Uh, but you know. <laughs> that definitely defeats the purpose. <laughs> exactly, it kind of undoes that purpose. But that's a good way to start. I love it. I love it. You know, in a simple way, you can make a salad. You know, we all we used to go into work, we have a salad bar, work at a company, whatever it is, on a hospital. But here's the thing, you can do that for much less money. You can do it so much easily at home. And here's the thing, you can't overdose on vegetables. You know, you 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 can eat a good amount until you feel full and it's it's healthy food that's also helping your gut. So I stopped there. 
And then I build in the fact that you should have fruits unless you have some sort of carbohydrate intolerance or you have to be careful about that or have had a reaction, then, you know, fruit should, should actually be good. And I start with berries because those are my favorite, all the colors of berries. And remember, we're adding in colors. The brighter, the better. The more colors, the better for you. So variety and, and colors. And then, you know, the natural sort of the prebiotics that, that are just going to help your gut along. To me, rather than go, you know, at, at times supplements are completely fine in this instance, but if you can get it through food, why not? You know, yogurt without active cultures. There are also non-dairy yogurts that are now building in active cultures for you. So if you don't have dairy for some reason, there are other options. Kefir, which is soured, just get the unsweetened type and then build it into your recipe have a delicious recipe for uh, who, who knew, you know, it's a salad dressing made with kefir, but it gives you the creaminess, right? And then things like kimchi, which is a Korean pickle, sauerkraut, which are uh, fermented foods, right? So part of those prebiotic foods that help our gut are the fermented foods. I should also not mix up prebiotic and probiotic foods. So the prebiotics are the ones that actually feed the good guys in our gut. The probiotics are what we need, the active cultures from yogurts and things like that. And all of these food lists you'll find in the book and you will be able to actually refer to them because they, they kind of outlined for you in the clearest way. So, so pre and probiotics are also for me not, not negotiable. And then I ask people to build in sources of protein that, that they like to eat. Some people are more plant-based these days. So build, build that in through your diet. Or if you go, if, you know, if you, if you eat everything and you eat meats and fish, then have lean poultry you know, have salmon because the benefit of those can be built in through the omega-3s and the other nutrients. Uh, for example, vitamin B12, really you can only get from meat sources. Vegetarians and vegans do need to take a supplement for vitamin B12 because they don't get it from vegetables. They don't get enough. Those are some building blocks that I give to people this is sort of the amount that you can have, guys, and pick from here. So it also makes them feel better about the choices they have. Mm, I love it. I, I love when another practitioner comes onto the show and tells them, tells everybody to eat some greens. You know, I love that so much. We are a big salad family and a green smoothie family. So and we love our cruciferous vegetables. I just love those so much. If you don't like your greens, put it in a smoothie. You just said it for me. If you're not a solid person, I understand, but have it somehow, put it in a smoothie. And the other category that I should have mentioned was my love for spices. Spices are calorie-free. If you buy the pure spice, they're salt-free. So the blends tend to have salt added. So just be aware of that because of sodium. And you can make one type of food in multiple ways. And it's a totally different dish because of the different spices you're adding. Plus, they have huge benefits. Yes, we love spices here in this house. And so thank you for that. The added flavor, the antioxidant count, you know, and, and again, you're getting a lot of flavor without the added salt or without added preservatives, which I think is so, so important that you find in, in box foods or things like exactly. that. Exactly. You've given us so much to consider and, and you have made it feel so simple. I know that there's a beautiful framework inside of your book. Can you tell us a little bit about not only a little bit about the inspiration of the book, but a little bit about the book specifically. Sure, thank you. So, so the inspiration for my book was really hearing from my patients that things were working, you know, that we discovered 
meal plans and nutritional interventions that were helping them. And we were proving it through our clinical care. So I felt that that this should be shared. And the way that I conceptualized the book was that there are all of these disorders in mental health. And we wanted to make it user-friendly for people. So someone might pick up the book because they have depression. Someone else might pick it up because they're not sleeping well. Someone else might pick it up because they're struggling a little bit with their memory or someone in their family maybe they've noticed is having problems with their memory. So we've divided it up into 11 chapters. And 10 of the 11 chapters have the different diagnoses. What we've done is we've broken down, you know, we looked at someone's probably upwards of seven, between 700 to 800 scientific references. And I don't want to scare you. To be, be whittled it down that. for you. We, we love we the research. It. Exactly. <laughs> we whittled, I did, I'm not going to say you have to read it. So read the references. But what we did is we took those and we really took the over 500 that are the most relevant and we put them into each chapter so that you are guided by what's what the research shows for that diagnosis and for that food. And I don't want to overstate this because in some instances, with the evidence in terms of the amounts of food and should I eat an X amount of food is not quite there yet. But there are guidelines from science, from research, showing that certain things have worked and why not try it. My philosophy around this is if it's food, you are not likely to go that wrong with it unless you have an allergy or an intolerance. So if it's adding something in to try it out that's going to make you feel better, it's it's worth that. And we show you the science behind it. So then in each chapter, we break down foods to stay away from and students, and the foods you should add in. At the end of the book, we have a chapter on setting up your kitchen, grocery lists that you should be buying for living this lifestyle. And then some recipes, um, just recipes that are matched to each chapter. So, and you might intermix that. You might take chapter uh, recipes from the chapter for mood, and you might mix it up with the one from sleep. It's all interchangeable. But we used foods from the chapters to build the recipes. I really hope it, it will be useful to people to just use as a guide and thinking that, you know, maybe they want to go to this chapter on sleep, but hey, maybe they also find some benefit from the other chapters too. So that's how we divided it up. I love it. I love that it's so integrated because you're absolutely correct. Many people have multiple symptoms and they're looking to, you know, get guidance on how to help, especially with sleep. Like we know when people are feeling feeling sleep deprived, that definitely affects their mood. And so I'm really excited that there's so much that we can interchange and take from it based on what's going on with us personally. It's like kind of having you inside of our, in a book. And where can we find the book? Where would you like us to head on to, to grab this beautiful resource of yours? Great. So it's at all major booksellers. It's on, on Amazon, it's online, but you can also go to my site, which is book umanaidumd.com, where you'll also find tons of fun stuff that that, uh, you will get with the book too. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for letting us know. You got a little website. We can go check it out there. It's available everywhere. You guys, so many of us are dealing with anxiousness, mood, and we know people in our life that are dealing with it as well. And what if we could paint the picture for nutrition? So I highly recommend each of you go and grab this book um, because it's going to be such a beautiful resource, not only for you, but those that you love. 
Dr. Uma Naidu, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your brilliance. And thank you so much for doing the groundbreaking work that really is going to shift the way that we approach mood and wellness and, and a mental support. Thank you so much, Dr. Mesa. It's an absolute pleasure to talk with you. And thank you for the wonderful questions and, and being so thoughtful about this. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on. Take care. I absolutely love the idea of optimizing our mental health with food. It gives me so much hope that we can make massive changes by simply making smart choices with our fork every single day. Dr. Uma's book, not only does she dive into the research, but she provides us with actionable nutritional recommendations and delicious brain-healthy recipes. So in a lot of ways, it is done for you. You get the book, you see the foods that she's talking about, you see the yummy recipes, and you work from there. Now, if you have a feeling that you've been feeling more anxious lately, or you want to use food to help boost your mood, I highly recommend this book. I also recommend it to anyone looking to reduce any risk for inflammatory conditions, such as dementia. Now, I have the link for Dr. Uma's book, This Is Your Brain on Food, in the show notes for this episode. And I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. On the next Q&A Friday episode, which is coming up later this week, I'm going to be talking about how your diet can make or break your hormone health. I am going to be sharing not only what can happen to our hormones when we eat foods that create an imbalance in our gut and our liver, but also focus on the top foods for optimal hormone health. So yes, I'll be focusing on the foods that don't necessarily support our hormones, but I will most likely be highlighting the biggest foods that can be a needle mover for how your hormones are functioning in your body. I can't wait to dive into this topic. It pairs so beautifully with this episode today. And you're going to find that a lot of the foods that we talked about today are going to be coinciding with the foods that I talk about when it comes to our hormone health. Until then, have an amazing week and summer. See you soon.